Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Podcast talking all things Disney with your hosts El John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome to our weekly tradition of talking about all things Disney and pop culture. It is the Skull Rock Podcast, where every week Dave and I take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's in the theater, and what's going on in the whole multiverse of entertainment. I'm a longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culture fan, Al John Go. And you can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossert, artist, filmmaker, author, cage fighter, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Well, Al John, we have a great show. We have uh, Tina Price on as a guest today. Right uh, we're going to be talking to her about the CTN uh, organization and the CTN Expo that's coming up in November. What is the CTN, Dave? I have no idea. CTN is the Creative Talent network and it's really Uh, a big animation networking organization and tina started this many years ago and we're going to talk to her about how that came about and uh each year she does the ctn expo which is really an animation professionals and animation wannabes um uh convention really you know, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, a, a three day event in Burbank and we're going to get all the details in a little bit, but first I got some listener feedback. You do. Hold on a second. Hold on. I wasn't ready. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Skull Rock Podcast. Answers your email. All right. Hey, I I got a really nice email, and in part it said, I've been enjoying your podcast. Keep up the good work. Short and sweet from Robert in Los Angeles. (laughs) I love those. That's great. I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, honestly, it was a longer email. There was other stuff in there that uh, was more uh, uh, on a personal level. Uh, So I kind of clipped that out. But uh, uh, I thought that was a very nice note. You know, we're we're just, you know, we have uh, little quick notes from people that are coming in that say they're listening on a weekly basis and enjoying the podcast. Hey, hold, hold, I, I love on. that. Hold on, Dave. This is Robert in Los Angeles. Dave, what's your favorite scary movie? 
<laughs> really? I don't. Well, I, you know something? I, I don't know if I have a scary movie. Oh, you, you know? know? Well, you're going to go see one this week, are you? Well, not? you know, it's, you know what movie really scared the hell out of me? Okay. The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, yeah. The original one. The original, the original one, one I saw. Yeah. I saw it in a, in the Johnny All Weather Drive-in in Amityville, New York. <laughs> wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait! Not far from the Amityville Horror. Seriously, say, not far say, from the Amityville Horror. You know what? You, it's funny you mentioned that because so many things. You, there's so much to unpack in that sentence that you just said. You saw <laughs> the Hills Have Eyes, scary movie in a drive-through. Also scary sometimes when you're watching those scary movies, and in Amityville. <laughs> yes, that's right. But I, I and I have to tell you, that was a triple feature I went to see at oh the my. Johnny All Weather Drive In, which is now a Home Depot, by the way. Oh my! Uh, but but uh, it was The Hills Have Eyes, Autopsy, oh. and I can't rem- I cannot for the life of me remember the third movie oh. because it was like eleven, twelve o'clock at night that we were watching these things. It was just scared the daylights out of me. That's amazing. Watch it be like you know Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> or something like that, you know. I mean, those no, classic. I would have remembered that it was it was just some obscure, you know, slasher movie or oh, something. That, that's know? amazing though, because really, uh, those classic films are still super, uh, super relevant and scary today. Uh, I think uh, not only Hills, uh, the Hills Have Eyes is just an all time classic, but you know, you look at like the Birds or something else, you know, Hitchcockian or yeah, you know, those are all. This super uh, scary. And of course, now that we're moving into a brand new month, September, I'm gearing up for my top 30 um, Halloween movie list that I'm going to be watching every night with my wife. It's a it's a Halloween tradition in this house. Isn't it unbelievable? We're we're it's Labor Day. And here we are. We're like, you know, a stone's throw from Halloween. It's unbelievable. I can't believe it. Well, uh, speaking of things you're watching, Dave, before we get into uh, the Tina Price interview for CTA, which is going to be great. Uh, let's talk about what we've been streaming and watching this week. And Dave, you said you're you're getting ready to watch a really scary movie. Actually, well, well, first off, let me let me go through a couple of things here because okay. I did go see Three Thousand Years of Longing. Oh, okay. Uh, which is a George George Miller directed film, and you know George Miller did the uh, Mad Max films, right? And yeah, and yeah, yeah. and so this uh, Three Thousand Years of Longing stars. Idris Elba and um, and Tilda Swindon. Yes, and I have to tell you, this is an Aladdin esque like movie, uh, and uh, really for adults. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. I have to tell you, Al John, I went into the theater kind of ambivalent because there wasn't a lot of movies being released, and I went to see this one. It's kind of a small movie, uh, but a really well done movie. I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I have to say most of it takes place in a hotel room uh, oh. with some, you know, uh, cutaways to uh, past uh, incidents uh, that uh, Idris Elba, who plays a genie, uh, is talking about. Uh, so uh, very enjoyable film. I really liked it a lot. I would recommend it. Uh, nice. I also on Netflix I watched The Man from Toronto. Okay. Uh and this stars Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson. Oh, that can't and, be bad. <laughs> and and it's like an action comedy. Okay, like a Lethal Weapon? Yeah, I kind of, you know. It's an action comedy. 
really well done. Very funny. I mean, Kevin Hart delivers big time in this. Uh, and Woody Harrelson is always great. Two of my favorites. Yeah, really terrific. Um, and by the way, uh, last Friday, uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, the Rings of Power dropped two episodes, the premiere two episodes uh, of their new series, which uh, I watched both of them. And I will tell everybody, even if you've not seen any of the Lord of the Rings movies and you're not, you know, you haven't read the Tolkien books or anything like that, uh, that's okay. This is a standalone series. The first episode really kind of does a, a narrative setup uh, of the world and the different people that inhabit this world, right? Uh, and the second episode, you start to really get into the different, uh, you know, the dwarves and the hairfoots and the elves and the, you know, the humans and the giants and all this stuff. And all of these things, from what I understand, all these little threads uh, in this world are all going to converge at some point. So uh, it's it's stunning. And I have to say the musical score is fantastic. Wow. Okay. Re- really, really powerful score. Um I enjoyed this. Uh, 25 million people watched the premiere. Oh, man. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, 25 million people watched the premiere. So I would ab- absolutely recommend this uh, to anybody who's interested in, in watching something different. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, and uh, I know that there's been some controversy out there with uh, people uh, you know, the trolls out there always jump all over everything, always, you know, always. and uh, uh, I would pay no attention to any of that stuff. And uh, you're hearing it from me, Dave. <laughs> I'm telling you that you should watch Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, because I, I think it's beautiful. I mean, the production value is, uh, a, you know, just unbelievable. And the musical score, the the casting, the actors. Uh, everything it's got it all it's fantastic it's fantasy it's it's very cool i like it i i also watched the latest episode of house of dragons so i'm keeping up on that and you know something i will tell you that and I, i want our listeners to hear this uh the house of dragons is much more adult it's much more you know brutal and gory and bloody Mm-hmm. Um uh and Lord of the Rings the Rings of Power is more family friendly. Sure. And and I would tell tell our listeners out there that you could watch this with your family. Mm-hmm. Good. You know, Lord of the Rings. So I I want people to to understand that. I don't think I would I really recommend having children watch uh House of the Dragon. Uh, okay. Yeah, because that's yeah. Uh, that's all of that uh yeah, we, we yeah, it's really a, it's adult, it's a very adult themed. Okay, um, I also uh, continued to watch uh, the new episodes that are dropping of She Hulk, Attorney at Law, uh, campy and funny. Uh, that's all I can say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did uh, tap into a series that I wasn't aware of. It's called Blood and Treasure, huh? Um, and it's on Paramount Plus, uh, and you can watch this through Prime. And I have to tell you, um, it has a national treasure vibe to it. Interesting. How's that? I like it. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, uh, there's two seasons. There are 12 episode seasons. 
uh, about, you know, 40, 45 or 50 minute long episodes. And uh, the season one is a complete arc uh, of one story uh, where they're tracking um, a sarcophagus uh, of Cleopatra and Anthony and stolen treasure from uh, uh, Egypt. And uh, they they go back and forth in time from World War Two and the Nazis stealing these uh, sarcophaguses and uh and present day and uh it you know and it's shot all over europe it's really uh pretty fantastic uh i enjoyed it very nice i like it so there you have it i there's a lot of content there yeah absolutely i think we're finally gonna maybe start watching game of thrones so house of dragon is definitely on the list but it's definitely for adults (laughs) definitely for adults yes yes yeah what have you been watching well i took our listeners advice and uh checked out the chania twain not just a girl documentary on netflix and and i mean it's behind the music right so it's it, it shares a lot about her life and times and the difficulties and struggles she had as an artist coming up and the successes she's had along the way. I mean, it's a, it's great. I'm a big Shania Twain fan anyway. Um, so if you're a big country music fan, this is definitely one to watch. Or if you're just fascinated by the world of, of country music in general, this is a great watch. Hey, uh, you know, by the way, Al John, um, I forgot to mention, I did watch the last episode of I Am a Rolling Stone oh. on e- on EPIC, uh-huh. and that, that episode was all about Charlie Watts. Oh, okay, great. And I have to tell you, a fantastic, uh, uh, you know, closer to the four-part documentary, uh-huh. because there was a lot of stuff about Charlie Watts that I was not aware of. And very fascinating guy. Very very, fascinating guy. And an impeccable drummer. Yes. Impeccable drummer. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, all I would say is if you have a chance, you should absolutely watch the I Am a Rolling Stone four-part documentary. Uh, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Ronnie Woods, and uh, Charlie Watts. Uh, Just really well done there was a lot of material in there i hadn't seen before and also just uh getting a a glimpse behind the scene of one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time oh 100 percent. that's definitely on my list thanks for reminding me dave yeah um and what else what else do you i'm sorry oh no interject that because you were talking about the uh, shania twain documentary well you know we go from music to music and this the other day the taylor hawkins tribute happened and it was on a uh, pay-per-view and I was able to catch half of it. I, I'm going to catch the rest of it um, today as we record this after we record this, but you know, it's, it's so touching to, to see all the musicians come out and really just pay tribute to a very respected drummer and just all around musician great singer i mean taylor is great i've been a big fan of taylor hawkins since he played drums for alanis morissette where i first um you know came upon him and i i saw him play with alanis and was an absolute big fan of his style of playing drums speaking of drummers right and then here he is with the Foo Fighters and just, you know, a year removed from his untimely passing, we have this tribute and it was really good, at least the, the part that I seen. And and it took a lot to, um, you know, to, to see Dave perform 
and go out there with his bandmates and pay tribute to his fallen friend. And um, it's just a really touching tribute and all these great musicians who lent their time to uh, to do this for world, world worthwhile cause, I think was very, very touching. So between that, uh, I too watched She-Hulk and uh, She-Hulk is funny. It's irreverent. It's literally a 30 minute sitcom and um, it's fun. That's all I can say about that. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. And then I also finally started streaming um, Tales of the Walking Dead on AMC Plus. As you know, now, where, where does this fit in in the Walking Dead? Like, like, can you just give our listeners a rundown? There was the Walking Dead, the original series. That's right. There's the Walking right. Dead, and then the spinoff show Fear of the Walking Dead, which um, you know what happens concurrently. Um, when that series started, it was maybe several years after the original Walking Dead. But it's pretty much, you know, now they're working concurrently in the timeline. This new series, Tales of the Walking Dead, is an anthology show. So they take actors, uh, different sets of actors. For example, they had um, Olivia Munn and uh, Terry Crews, um, you know, be in the first one. And then Parker Posey was in the next one. So they have different uh, stars telling these one-shot stories about, um, you know, basically... Uh, what they went through during the apocalypse. It could have been early in the apocalypse, uh, zombie apocalypse, or sometimes later. Um, but it's once again a great anthology, much like Creep Show. You had, you know, uh, you had a bunch of different stories, and in Creep Show's case, you know, had three or four different stories um, that were all compiled into one film. So these are just great isolated stories. So you can just literally not have anything to do with what's going on with walking dead, sit down and watch it and go, Oh, this is great with actors. I know. Um, and really well done so far. Very well done. We're only like three episodes in and a new episode drops every week on AMC plus. So please check that out. Awesome. And then, uh, before we move on, I have to say that I'm slowly getting the kiddos. We're, we're planning our, our trip to Disney, uh, Walt Disney world. And so we're getting the kids, you know, all in, to the whole Disney vibe. Of course, the kids already love a lot of the newer films like Encanto and Frozen and, you know, um, you're watching all kinds of stuff, but I finally got them to watch some Star Wars. Now they, they are a big fan of, of Grogu and the Mandalorian because you know, they have to, they're in the, they are, they're in this house. Uh, so now we have them watching some of the, uh, animated, the forces of destiny, which is on Disney plus, which is animated shorts featuring a female, uh, strong female heroes and the stories, some little side stories that they have. And so of course uh, there's Ray and Leia and Jen Erso from rogue one telling, uh, having their little adventures and stuff in this 2d animation style. And I never really gave the the show a thought because I, I, I thought it was just kind of, you know, kind of isolated its own little thing, but the, the more I'm watching it, uh, I really enjoy it. And the kids love it too. And then awesome. And then they also love Spider-Man. So we started watching uh, animated Spider-Man and I said, well, how would you like to watch, uh, you know, the, the real life Spider-Man? And she's like, okay. A little girl was like, she loves Spider-Man. So I, I s- sat down and watched the Tobey Maguire original Spider-Man with them. All right. And the first, the first, the first one, one. you and know, I have they, a screen credit on that. Yeah. Because you did special effects. Did you? I, yeah. I did just a couple little things in, in that. Uh, and, and I did it with a buddy of mine, Mike, uh, nice. and, uh, it was, uh, it was a fun little thing to do. That's amazing, Dave. I, I think you t- mentioned that a while back and we yeah. talked about it, but, uh, she absolutely loved it. And she's like, Gobby, Gobby, Gobby. And it's like a green goblin. 
<laughs> and, and then our little boy's like, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. I'm like, yeah, it's Spider-Man. But it was very cool. And, and it just reminds me how much I loved that original trilogy of films that Sam Raimi did and how good Tobey Maguire and Chris, uh, Kirsten Dunst was in the film and all the great lines of dialogue in that film. Um, so anyway, those are kind of the things we're watching this week. So anyway, awesome. yeah. So what have you been watching? Feel free to let us know. Send us an email, Dave or Aljon at skullrockpodcast.com. Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Over the weekend, there was National Cinema Day. And I love that. I love the fact that there was National Cinema Day, but unfortunately, it kind of went past me and my radar. I didn't know if you were familiar with all the press surrounding National Cinema Day, but during this lull, as the summertime kind of wraps up, a lot of theaters were offering moviegoers an opportunity to see first-run films for $3 just to get people in through the doors. I thought this was a great idea. What do you think? Oh, I I thought it was. And I I have to tell you, out here in California, because we're in the midst of a heat wave, uh, there were uh, plenty of people going to the theaters and buying tickets for like two or three movies. And they were just going from one theater to the next and, you know, movie after movie because they didn't have central air conditioning or they didn't want to run their air conditioner because it was so expensive. And this was a way for them to stay cool. Absolutely. Um, they had a lot of films brought to you by these uh, studios, Amazon Studios, Disney, Focus, A24, Neon, Lionsgate, Paramount, Sony, United Artists, Universal, and Warner Brothers. I mean, that's just a great way to spend an afternoon. You know, Dave, it's been a long time since I did something like this. And I remember having so much fun when my parents and I and my grandparents would take in a double feature or to do an afternoon at the movies because we loved going to films growing up. And um, I think this is great. Hopefully more people can get turned on to this thing as they make it a yearly, hopefully a yearly thing. And bring yeah, more people to the absolutely. theaters. Yeah. So you know, they yeah. they need to do something, Al John. I mean, honestly, you know, uh, you you've got uh, Sin World, which is on the verge of bankruptcy, mm-hmm. you know, and they own the Regal Theaters and Edwards Theaters and you know some other theater chains around the world, and uh, they you know they really need to do something to give people a reason to go into the theaters. You know, me, I go to the movies all the time, mm-hmm. and there's plenty of movies out there that you have to see on a big screen. Sure, you know. Top Gun Maverick, you know, Thor, uh, Doctor Strange, you know, James Bond movies, you know, mm-hmm. anything like that you need to see on a big screen. And then I would argue that classic films, you know, Casablanca and uh, the Maltese Falcon and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, just, you know, any of those kinds of classic movies, seeing those on a big theater screen is a real treat. And so I, I really, you know, look, I, I can't say enough that the theater chains need to step up. But not only that, the movie studios need to step in and help the theater chains create a better experience for uh, moviegoers. 
to give people a reason to go to the theaters. And I, I and I I could rant on this for a while because I go to my local uh, Cineplex and I can't tell you how many times we have to go talk, tell the manager, could you tell them to shut the lights off? The movie started, you mm-hmm. know, in the theater, uh, you know, they uh, somebody's asleep at the wheel and uh, they don't start the movie on time. And, you know, there's just countless things that have gone on at the local theater that are just, you know, uh ridiculous they're things that they should be able to take care of and they shouldn't be happening just like anything else that if it's all about bringing people back just like a restaurant the experience has to be top notch because otherwise there's so many other choices for entertainment these days people are going to spend their hard-earned money to get in a car buy tickets buy you know all the the popcorn and sodas in there for their entire family make it one that's enjoyable and like I said, I still have a lot of fond memories of my family going to see films and my grandparents and my parents taking me to films. That's why I still love going to movies today. And even though I don't go to the theaters because I've got kids now, um, I do go to the drive-in quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, I, I love I love that um, because, once again, it's part of me growing up. But, um, yeah, please support your local theaters. And But, but yes, definitely, um, you know, film studios and theater owners – need to make it a great experience for everybody. You know, and and the other thing I would say is that, you know, 70, 80% of the movies being made today, you can watch those on a good home entertainment system. You know, if you have a 50 or 60 or 70 inch, 65 inch television uh, and a good sound system, you can watch most of those movies. I mean, I would argue, like I told you, I went to the theater to see 3000 years of longing. Mm -hmm. That's a perfect movie. You can watch on a great home entertainment system, you know, but, you know, a movie like Top Gun Maverick, man, you want to see that in I on an IMAX screen, as far as I'm concerned. You want to see it on the biggest screen you could possibly see a movie like that on because it's such an immersive experience. But, yep. you know, look, the, the theaters have to do something or they're going to just uh, eventually kill themselves. They're going to be out of business. 100%. Well, speaking of business, and business is really good, according to a lot of the reports coming out. From the Disney CEO, Bob Chapek, this week. I don't know if you caught any of those. Uh, you know, talking about ticket prices increasing. It's, it's like trying to dodge the bullet saying, you know, we if demand is there, we're we're going to be there to meet the demand. <laughs> you know, so yes, that's, yield management. Yield management. Yield oh, my management. gosh. That, I'm so tired <laughs> of that corporate phrase. But uh, Disney is planning to create an Amazon-like membership with Disney Prime, similar to well, now they're everyone's calling their services Plus now, but now they're taking a page out of Amazon to do Disney Prime. Dave, please, Disney, don't call it Disney Prime. Please don't come up with your own name. Stop it. Don't put a plus after anything anymore. I mean, for crying out loud, <laughs> be original. Yeah, call it Disney Ultimate. You know, just uh, I'm an I'm an ultimate I'm an ultimate fan. I'm an uh, ultimate member. But yeah, so what they're planning to do from uh, and this comes to us from iTech Post uh, says the Disney Group of Services is planning to offer a membership plan for customers that includes discounts and merchandise, theme parks, streaming services from across the entire portfolio that Disney has to offer, and it's going to be a unique, you know, offering. And who else can offer this but Disney? Honestly, right. Dave, there's no one else. 
Right. I mean, and they, that's why they should come up with a unique name for it. They don't, should. Don't, don't add Prime to Disney, please. Don't say Disney Prime. I mean, for crying out loud. Uh, Disney spokesperson Christina Shackey said technology is giving us new ways to customize and personalize the consumer experience for what we're delivering in terms of entertainment experiences and products that is most relevant to each of our guests. Disney's more than a brand. It's a way of life. Yeah, no, no kidding. We live that Disney life, Dave. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So I'm looking forward to that. Hey, Dave, did you catch the tease that D23 had with Hugh Jackman and his uh, long uh, Wolverine blades coming out saying six days till D23? No, I didn't see it. So when a brand does something like this, six days to D23 and puts a big star, Hugh Jackman, face forward with his claws, you know, as Wolverine saying, you know, six more days as fans, the internet basically shut down. Everybody was like, what Hugh Jackman's going to be at D 23, or there's going to be a tease of some kind of uh, announcement D 23 that was strategically done. There's no reason to simply put Hugh Jackman's name on the D 23, uh, you know, Instagram or whatever, and not say that Hugh Jackman's going to be there. Right. Right. I no, mean, I, it's a I, mistake, listen, right? I, I agree with you. I, I miss that. But I would say that, you know, D23 always has a, a bunch of surprises up their sleeve. Well, what could it be? We'll find out. The Twitter page, once again, for Disney Plus posted a gif of uh, Hugh Jackman's Logan, a.k.a. Wolverine, extending his hand saying, six days till Disney Plus day. And sure, they're promoting, you know, possible X-Men content. But yes, I do believe that uh, they're going to have some big drops regarding Hugh Jackman. And who knows, maybe he'll be in the multiverse and coming to another film real soon. And speaking of Marvel, Chadwick Moseman's wife, Taylor Simone Leward, was honored to accept the Emmy for her late husband. And this is due to his performance in the Disney animated or Marvel Studios animated uh, series. What if, and how cool is that, Dave? I mean, you got yeah. outstanding po- character posthumous. voiceover. Yeah. A posthumous award. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And once again, it's just great to, to see that Chadwick Boseman still being honored, you know, Dave, uh, in the nineties, right before the prequel trilogy for star Wars was released, I sold all of my star Wars collectibles for, several thousand dollars i was a kid what? going to high school i had almost all the action figures the vehicles i was such a star wars head um being a kid and then when, when i went to college i wanted to get a new guitar and some gear with for my band so i decided to sell all that off and and what do you think that would be worth today oh priceless, hundreds of huh? thousands which is priceless and i I'm, yeah. i every day I, I kick myself for it can you believe that han solo's blaster sold for one million dollars at auction Unbelievable. One million dollars. You know, this is the stage use prop that was used by Harrison Ford in Star Wars A New Hope, the iconic blaster of Han Solo. It was estimated to sell for about uh, $400,000, but it went for a cool uh, $1 million plus. And and do we know who bought it? Uh, I don't know. I don't know who bought it, Um, but it's pretty iconic. I would think that uh, between someone that bought that and someone that bought like Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader's lightsaber, that's pretty iconic, I would say. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, 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 just to put it into perspective, 
uh, earlier this year, a vintage unopened VH- VHS copy of Star Wars was put up for auction and had been expected to bring in $60,000. A tape, which is a 1984 first release of Star Wars, A New Hope, um, that included a great tape head, ended up selling for $57,000. Uh, so just a little short of that. But wow. uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that people can make a lot of money on for sure. My gosh, um, I, I have to go look at my retirement box. I was going to say, Dave, you, you put a lot of that those uh, those movie props and things uh, in the back closet. I think it's time that uh, you might cash in. Maybe, uh, maybe. Uh, speaking of uh, you know great franchises, you've got from the Batgirl Fallout to rebooting rebooting Superman and the Landmines facing the next DC Chief. You know, I sent this to you, Dave, and it's a pretty awesome article in Variety. It was uh, um, about how they need to have a steward for the entire franchise of films and TV, much like Kevin Feige is with Marvel. Yes, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. They they need a Kevin Feige over there, whoever that's going to be. But they need to have somebody that they put in and give them free reign. Absolutely. You know, that's yeah. the that, that's the reason why uh, Marvel has worked so well within the Disney organization is that Kevin Feige is uh essentially in charge of that entire franchise and they let him run it and he's in charge of comics right you know i mean he's in charge of comics the storytelling has a huge um you know everything funnels through kevin from comics to to everything else all the films and tv and he has a singular vision for the brand which is great you need to have someone with passion and vision and Kevin Feige, uh, in his early days from working with Avi Ered over at Sony, uh, shepherding Blade and, and the X-Men, I mean, he spent time, time in uh, so many years with Marvel. And he's yeah, a fan. I, I, you know, and, and they need to have somebody who's in charge of the DC franchise who reports directly to David Zaslow, who's now the CEO of uh, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Uh, and and you, can't, you can't have somebody in charge of DC who's going to report to 12 other people at the studio. You know, I mean, it, it, he has to be, that person has to be a direct report to the CEO and you let him uh, run uh, the DC universe. Absolutely. Um, you know, you've been in the system working in films for so long, Dave, when you have these franchise runners, I mean, they're not just showrunners, they're franchise runners. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what other types of personality traits do you think are involved with having that kind of person navigating through the creative as well as the more, I would say, political uh, machinations and stuff going on behind the scenes? Yeah, uh, but you see, that that's done. the thing. You, you know, with Kevin Feige, you kind of take a lot of the politics out of it because you have him di- reporting directly to the CEO. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, he, you know, he's 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 basically dealing with the chairman of the studio and the CEO of the company, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's the way it should be is because you're allowing him to focus all of his energy on the storytelling and on the cohesiveness of the entire universe. Less than a film made by committee, a huge bunch. It, of exactly. And that, and that's been, that that's been the downfall at DC is, is that they, there's way, way too many cooks in the kitchen. You know that as well as I do. Sure. Sure. You know, and that's why there's the controversy over, you know, uh, the studio cuts versus the filmmakers cuts and, you know, all the, the fans screaming for the, you know, the, the, the Schneider cut of this and 
that and you know it's just it's a quagmire of uh too many cooks in the kitchen absolutely uh it seems like one uh, segue after the other uh, legendary entertainment eyeing rival studio options with warner brothers deal over legendary films of course known for so many great um, horror films and uh, fantasy films but uh, they're moving from its on again off again relationship with warner brothers and they're looking at maybe getting added to the Sony or Paramount brands. Um, it'll be very interesting uh, to see what happens there because, yeah. uh, you know, they have had a bunch of really big hits uh, as of late. So where does Legendary Pictures lie? I guess only time will tell. You know? They're not going anywhere. They're yeah. just going to hook up with a new partner possibly. Yeah, that, that'll be very interesting to see. And I guess maybe the catalog will be going with them. Perhaps. Well, but I have to say the Warner's deal is ending, but it doesn't mean that Warner's isn't going to put a new deal on the table. True. True. So, so they're, they're one of the players as well. Absolutely. And unfortunately we have uh, some more notable passings this week. It's always nice for us to kind of mention them because of their contributions to film and the industry at large. Um, do you want to mention uh, we have a Pixar animator, Ralph Eggleston, who passed away at a young age of 56. Yeah, this was, this was terrible. He passed away from pancreatic cancer. And, uh, you know, uh, I didn't really know Ralph uh, at all. I, I had talked with him a few times, but the most memorable was at a dinner at the Carthay Circle. Uh, I happened to sit across the table from him. And we had a lovely conversation. Nice guy. Uh, but I would say about his artwork, incredibly talented guy and really responsible for that Pixar look, especially during the early years uh, of Pixar uh, and uh, really a tremendous loss for for the animation community, I think. Um, you know, he was, uh, from all accounts, you know, my, my one little experience was he was a super nice guy and very, you know, knowledgeable. We had a great conversation about uh, a lot of different topics and, um, you know, but from people I know who knew him very well, uh, he was just a, a really uh, terrific person and, uh, a great talent. And I, it's just very sad to see somebody go this young. Well, um, there's also sad news. You let me know about your friend, Jeff Howard, also from Disney as well. Yeah. You know, this was, this was very sad. Jeff died from cancer as well. And, uh, he was 69 years old, but Jeff Howard, you know, is a really interesting, uh, individual because he was the first animator I hired onto Fantasia 2000, but I had worked with him for many, many years prior to that. I mean, going back to my, my first picture at Disney, uh, the black cauldron, I worked with Jeff Howard, uh, and he was really, I think one of the top effects animators, uh, in the business. Uh, as far as uh, hand-drawn effects, I mean, he did beautifully rendered effects. You can see a lot of his work in the Pines of Rome segment of Fantasia 2000. Um, but he also worked on films like Ghost and uh, Big Trouble in Little China and, uh, you know, just a myriad of films uh, o- over the course of his career. And uh, he was a wild man, you know. He was somebody who was... Uh, you know, an incredibly talented person, but there was always a storm swirling around him uh, in his personal life. And uh, just, uh, you know, he, he raged against the machine, so to speak, you know, and uh, I have to say uh, funny, 
very smart, uh, really had a command of the English language and had a very deep vocabulary. Uh, he was he was a, a very funny individual. When, when I had him on Fantasia 2000, uh, I oftentimes would come back to my office from a meeting or a screening or something like that. And there would be a hilarious note. Uh, you know, either a post-it or, you know, a sheet of animation paper that he wrote a note for me on. And it was always, you know, sarcastic. Sometimes it would start out with, hey, cupcake, you know, and <laughs> and, it would, and it would just spiral down from there. Uh, and, but I kept every one of those notes. I have to tell you, I kept every one of those notes. And at the end of production on Fantasia 2000, I put them all into a book. It was probably the first book I ever did, actually. <laughs> Is that I have right? to tell you. And I put them all in a book and I called it Fear and Loathing in Burbank, the Jeff oh, Howard years. That's amazing. <laughs> Well, and I, yeah. and I made two copies, one for him and one I kept. And uh, I, you know, I thought about that quite a bit over the last week uh, and, and laughed, you know, because there was a lot of funny, uh, funny episodes with Jeff. Uh, but again, you know, at, at the pinnacle of the art form, he, he really was an incredible artist and uh, you know, he, he's going to be missed. Thank you so much for sharing that, Dave. It's amazing. Yeah. All right, and um, and this is another very sad tale as well. Triangle of Star Sadness, Charles B. Dean. Uh, she passed away at a tender age of 32, just gone too soon. I this know was her, very shocking. Very I mean, shocking. Do we know what happened to her? No, the uh, South African model and actress died of an unexpected sudden illness at the age of 32. Uh, she passed on August 30th. She's known, I, I know her, uh, from being in the CW series Black Lightning for DC, but she's also been in shows like Spud, Death Race 3, Inferno, Blood in the Water, and Don't Sleep in Portal. Um, so once again, she will be missed. Boy, how how young and tragic is that? 32 years. It's crazy. Years. And someone who lived a very uh, long life and story life is William Reynolds, Special Agent Tom Colby on the FBI series, dies at the age of 90. And a lot of people will remember his work in the Islanders on ABC, uh, Pete Kelly's Blues, and so the Gallant Men uh, on ABC in the early '60s. So there you have it. Of course, yeah, he, he was, did. Yeah. He did a bunch of movies in the 1950s, and you know he had a really pretty robust career. And uh, you know, I have to say, he had a wonderful life. 90. Uh, we should all be so lucky. And uh, you know, he leaves behind a body of work that will be remembered. Absolutely. And uh, that wraps this up, this segment up. And Dave, here we are. It's interview time with Tina Let's Price. do it. Yes. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, as always, we have another fantastic guest in uh, in the studio with us. We have Tina Price, an animation professional and the founder of the Creative Talent Network. Tina, welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm honored when you when I got your invitation. Oh, it, it's an absolute pleasure. I've been wanting to have you on the show for some time, and and I decided to wait until this time because, and we'll get into this later, but because of the the uh, CTN Expo that's coming up in November. But before we even get to that. I want to find out, uh, and I know our listeners are going to love hearing your story. How did you get into animation? I mean, way back when, because I, I, I will tell our listeners, 
you were a ballet dancer. I was. That was my first career of choice. That was my passion where I was headed. And I did. I mean, I I was a ballet dancer and I had got scholarships that took me to New York. Uh, I got scholarships when I was 12 and then they moved me to New York when I was 17. And uh, I danced and was a part of the School of American Ballet School with the New York City Ballet. And I also danced with uh, San Francisco Ballet and Chicago Lyric Opera and at the ripe old age of uh, 26, you know, you're about ready to retire a uh, ballet career unless you are a super prima ballerina. So I retired at 26 and I came home and uh, wanted to figure out what my next chapter was. And, and what was that? What, what did you decide well, to do? My mother told me to t uh, learn how to type in school just in case I broke a leg, you know, like a backup plan. <laughs> so I knew how to type pretty well. And there was a job for uh, typing at, at TV guide listings. And so I took the job uh, for money. And the girl sitting next to me was the wife of an animator at Disney, uh, Jeff Farab. Well, yeah, <laughs> and we befriended. I... You remember Jeff? Yeah, I remember the name. Yeah. And so we became friends and uh, she invited me over. We were about the same age. As she invited me over to her house for dinner and then she invited uh tom enriquez who i think it was a blind date to be honest now that i look back <laughs> on it but it, it, she invited uh tom enriquez over we had dinner uh i would i told them that i was looking for something new to do something i could fall in love with because i had i fell in love with dancing i didn't understand how to have a job for money you know just a job i only knew how to be in love with what i do so they introduced me uh, to Don Bluth, who was doing Banjo the Whip Cat in his garage, uh, part of that exodus of his where he was starting his own company. And, and but that was that was actually before he left Disney because he, right. he, they were sort of moonlighting in Don's garage. He and a group uh, of uh, artists. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, but he hadn't left Disney just yet. So you, you got introduced to Don Bluth. And what happened? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's what it was. Uh, he taught me how to paint cells and do in-betweens. Uh, I would go down there. It was in his garage in Culver City. I would go. They were all working, like you said. And so I would go down there after they sort of trained me how to do it. I'd pick up scenes and bring them back to my house. And I'd deal with it. I'd go down there during the day and no one was there. They were all yeah. at Disney working. Right, right. That's amazing. So you were painting cells on Banjo the Woodpile Cat. Banjo the Woodpile Cat. Yeah. That oh. was the kickoff to my falling in love with animation. And, and what was the next step from there? What, like, how, how did that get you to Disney? Uh, there was a there was a side trip in there. My father was a tax accountant and one of his clients was Gwen Wexler, who was a producer over at Filmation studios a tv animation studio uh -huh. and uh you know proud father he would always brag about my dancing career to his clients that he saw every year so now he bragged to uh gwen about how my daughter you know she's getting involved in animation now and uh, gwen said well that's wonderful we have a training program for uh cleanup at filmation why don't you send her over so i did i went to the training program uh, granted, you know, I've only been doing this and I've, I've been taking life drawing classes and, you know, trying to find out how to, how to get good at this career. How do I get good at this? Where do I go? Who do I need to know? So I went into the training program and everyone got hired out of it. 
uh, Brian Clift was in it and a few other names of people that that, you know, yeah, that we all know Alan. There's an effects guy, Alan, Alan Blythe, Alan Blythe. Uh-huh. He was in the training program and they all got hired. You know, there was about 12 or 15 of them, except for me. I didn't get hired because my work was crap and it wasn't good <laughs> enough. <laughs> so but I asked and I always tell young people this, you know, never give up. I asked the lady, Marlene Robinson, I asked her, is it OK if I come back like once a week and show you my work? And so to improve, you know, she said, sure. So I, I did that. I would go back there once a week and I would show her my work, my in-betweens. They were still crap. And uh, one day she said, Tina, I need an administrative assistant, somebody who can file my papers for me and uh, answer my phone. Uh, would you be interested in doing that? Yes, I'll do that. I will do that. And that's what got me into the studio. I was in her office. She set up a little a little desk uh, with a disc, you know, and so I could practice when I wasn't answering the phones for her. And then one day, you know, this is the studio that does He-Man, Masters of the Universe, and She-Ra, and all those great TV shows. <clears throat> one day they got busy, and they were in a crunch, and they needed, they needed a cleanup person, and so they threw me in the game. So I got in the game and I got in the union and I was, was that was my first like uh, union job. You know, the, animation. there's a couple of things that you said that I want to unpack for really quickly, because you said something interesting. You even though you didn't get hired out of that first training program, you, yeah. you said, could I come back and keep showing you my work? Uh, and I, I have to say that's hugely important for our listeners to hear and to pass on to anybody they may know. Maybe maybe it's them, but you know, people they know who right. might want to get into this business. You have to be persistent. You you can't get depressed over a rejection. You have to turn that rejection into a positive. You have to you have to say, well, OK, I'm getting rejected. Why did I get rejected? What do I need to improve on? Right. Uh, exactly. And, and, and you have to take that initiative because you will break through. And there's there's so many stories that you and I have of people we know uh, mm -hmm. and things we experienced uh, getting into the business. So I think that that's hugely important. And right? the fact that you stuck to it and you figured out how to do this and kept practicing. And that's really what it's all about. Right. That's totally what it's all about. Um, you're absolutely right. Thank you for saying that. Don't give up. You don't know what door is going to open and it's going to lead you to where you want to go. You have no idea. I mean, I you can see the trail I took. I met somebody at the, the, the typing job that ended up at a dinner that introduced me to Don Bluth that my dad was an accountant and ended up with the producer at filmation <laughs> yeah no you but just it, never know the it, path. It, it's, it's all of those connections that you make yeah. as you go through life right yeah exactly and the same goes for people who went to college or university and graduate the doors are still opening even when you leave there it's the same it's yeah. the same path you may submit your portfolio to uh disney or dreamworks and you don't get in so what You'll go somewhere else and you'll try there and you'll meet somebody and uh, doors will open. They're all around you. Yeah. And all around uh, you. 
I, 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 I'm curious. So you, you get thrown into the fire uh, at filmation because they're, <laughs> they're really busy. And there was right? that, there was that period where they, they were just, you know, uh, hugely busy and turning out all kinds of shows. Yeah. Right. You know, Oh my God, they were cranking. And, and so what was it sort of like, that was your boot camp. That was, you were training under fire, right? Totally training under fire. And, you know, um, filmation is not full. It was not full animation. Right. So it was all shortcuts. <laughs> yeah. It was all, you know, trace and paste. And we had stock footage, stock scenes. You had held cells that just had mouths moving. Anything to cut costs and uh, get the footage done in time. Get right. The, get the episodes done in time. So it was a completely different uh, approach than uh when i later went to disney and how long did you stay at filmation doing that work and how did you get to disney from there <laughs> i was at filmation from 79 1979 to 1983 and how i got to disney was uh i was taking life drawing classes with glenn philpoo mm -hmm. uh, because i realized you know that that's one of the mainstays of this industry is you need to know how to draw yeah. I don't even care today if you're using computers. I still think drawing is like such a strong tool to have in your toolbox. But I took drawing classes with Glenn Vilpin. And I was, uh, he, they were working on Black Cauldron at the time. Mm -hmm. And he suggested to me, because I drew women, uh, I drew women well, and uh, probably from the ballet dancing, you know, I could kind of get the rhythm and the weight and stuff. So he said that they're looking for people at Disney, Tina, who can draw women and draw, you know, like the Ilan Wee character. <clears throat> and so I put a portfolio together. I never even had one. I never had a portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I didn't even know what to put together. But I did know that you're not supposed to throw anything away. So I had kept everything, everything, all the drawings I had done. And then I asked for help. You know, can somebody please help me put a portfolio together? What are you supposed to put in this thing? And, and that and that to me is like, you know, it, people should not be afraid to ask for help, uh, you know, uh, especially with a portfolio. I, I think you can't have your mom and dad do the portfolio with you. You know, you 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 have right. you have to you have to get an objective person to come in and look at the work and you have to spread it out on the floor and you have to pick out those best pieces, right? Hey, wait a minute. Were you? Was there a camera in the room? That's exactly what we said. <laughs> I had stacks of drawings. Yeah, they spread them all out. And, you know, there really wasn't more than like 12, 15 pages in this thing. One of those old black cases with the uh, zipper. Yeah. Yeah. I know the, the the kids have it so well today, you know, because yeah. they could just create a website and put their portfolio up on a website. We we had a we had these big black uh, zip uh, portfolio cases. <laughs> right. I, I I had mail mine from New York out to Cal Arts for you oh know for God, for right? them to re for them to review my portfolio. You know, it was crazy. Very crazy. You can, and if you lose it, you're like, oh no, because <laughs> you put originals in there in some exactly, cases. Yeah. yeah. So, so so you 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 got your portfolio yeah. together? And then I did, what? and I submitted it. I went over to Disney, and I dropped it off at the little guard house on Buena Vista. Yeah, I dropped it off, and I said, "This is for the animation department or whatever." And it was supposed to go to Ed Hansen, mm -hmm. who was head of the animation department there, 
So, you know, this is just what can happen, you know, and, and don't worry if things go wrong. But my portfolio went to Dan Hansen, who was in layout. <laughs> it went to the wrong person. So my portfolio ends up on the second floor of the animation building in Dan Hansen's office, who's in the layout department. So Glenn Vilpu is at Disney at the time, and he happens to share an office with Dan Hansen. Oh, my gosh. And he comes in. You, you can't make this up. No, you can't make this up. <laughs> and he comes in and he told me this later, you know, he comes in after lunch and here's some people, you know, a few of the guys looking at a portfolio and saying, hey, look at this. This looks pretty good. What's this? You know, hey, that looks pretty nice. So Glenn walked over to it to see what they were looking at. And he went, oh, my God, that's Tina's. That's Tina's portfolio because he recognized my drawings. Sure. You know? And so he zipped it all up and he hand took it, he hand delivered it down to Ed Hansen's office, who was head of the animation department. And I got a, you know, a hand delivery and a, oh, by the way, you should hire this person, you know, a referral. Wow, that's awesome. Because of, because of the mistake. Yeah. And, and, mistake. and so now, now Ed Hansen knows that you're a friend of the family. Right. You know, right. Because, yeah. because Glenn is there. You know, Glenn right. Velpu, and uh, and so you you you've got uh, a little extra, uh, yeah, uh, exactly. you know, a little extra extra. You know what right? I mean? It's like mm -hmm. you know, he took he took a moment to say, "Oh, he's you know." Exactly. You know, it wasn't a cold call type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was really kind of a, a like I think they call them happy accidents. Mm -hmm. It was a happy accident, and then. Um, yeah, they were looking to hire people for the Black Cauldron, and Don Hahn interviewed me in person. And, and Don, uh, they, Don was the production manager. Don was the production manager. Yeah. yeah. And I was so excited when I found out that they that I got my job that I showed up an hour and a half early on my first day. <laughs> I showed up an hour. I was so excited. I showed up an hour and a half early. That's awesome. And I had to sit in my car. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, best time of my life at that place. Loved it. Loved and so, and, it. and so, you start working on Black Cauldron, and right. I and by the way, I started on Black Cauldron uh, in the effects department, and okay. I don't know if you felt the same way I did, but uh, as we were getting towards the end of that production, did you feel like you were going to get laid off? Because I certainly felt that way. I didn't know. I don't know if I sensed that. Were you in the, what wing were you in? You were in was, B wing. I was in B wing. A wing with uh, yeah. the A wing of the effects. Yeah. Uh, where the effects That's department right. was. Yeah. I was in G wing all the way at the other end yeah, of the building, yeah. and I was in Andreas's unit. He was the uh, first animator I worked with. All right. <clears throat> and uh, do you remember when they had us all paint and sell? Did they ask you guys? In oh effect? yeah, I I have a picture. <laughs> I, I actually have a picture of myself on on. Uh, on the website because i was in i was asked after we finished the effects i was asked if i wouldn't mind and this is how they put it would you mind if you wouldn't mind we'd like you to paint cells to help right. get the picture finished and i was like sure i thought i was getting thrown out in the street i'll i'll paint cells and by the way i thought it was the best experience i ever got at the studio because painting cells allowed me to see what happened with my drawings and uh, you know our colleagues drawings uh as it went through the pipeline exactly yeah yeah so I, I got I, to use my uh, beginning skills that don bluth taught me 
There you go. There you go. I was in yeah. Karen Karen Camella's unit. Karen Camella, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, and uh, she gave me a lot of the effects work to paint, which was sort of, a, we'll teach you. <laughs> well, I tell you, isn't it interesting? You'll find out, I tell young people this too, you'll find out that everything in your life applies. Everything you do, everything that you've done, you'll get to some point and it will all apply. So here I am, uh, all of a sudden painting cells again. And I, of course, I'm an old pro at this because I did it. You, 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 had a, you had a leg up on that. I had uh, a leg up on that. And then and, my dancing, uh, they had some couples dancing in the Black Cauldron. And Jay Jackson, one of the animators, we did some roto for him. So the uh -huh. dancing got pulled in. Did some dancing and they wrote yeah. us, you know, uh, shot us with film or videotape, whatever. But really, it just starts to all apply. You don't think it, you don't think it does, but it it doesn't have to be very targeted. I mean, everything that you are experiencing applies, especially in animation, right? Oh, absolutely, without question. I, I mean, it's all those life experiences, and I think you said yeah. something. You, you said something earlier about you know, regardless of the fact that a lot of the industry now is computer and yeah. computer generated animation. Right. Uh, that to me is you know the that the computer is just a tool. It, it you know you're not using a pencil, you're using the computer. You still right. have to, I think, have draftsmanship skills. You still have to. Uh, understand the uh principles of animation and all of that it's not it's not the software doing it it's the human, <laughs> it's the human being that's manipulating the software totally yeah and as you know i got super involved in computer animation at disney right. i got i got so hooked on that and you're absolutely right i mean i tell young people that if you're trying to explain an idea right you need to explain something to somebody and they're just not getting it if you can pick up a pencil and just draw the shot or draw the idea on a piece of paper and go here, this is what I mean. It's, yeah. it's, it's such a valuable thing. You're, you're like way, way ahead of everybody. Yeah. And, and so we, we were fortunate, I think at Disney during those years, because it really was the transition from uh, analog to digital. Uh, it yeah. was the uh, the slow introduction of computer generated animation coming into even on the Black Cauldron, because if you remember, they had a Hewlett Packard desktop where yeah, they right. created the little uh, Ilanwe's uh, bobble that yeah, floated around right. that was mm -hmm. done on the desktop. And uh, uh, they did some boats in the bottom of the uh, Horn King's castle. There That's was some right. rowboats that were done. So the there was really some rudimentary computer animation done in Black oh, Cauldron. Yeah. And and then, of course, they uh, upgraded when we moved on to Great Mouse Detective and did the uh, clockier sequence. Exactly. And again, very rudimentary stuff at the time, but uh, it was it was groundbreaking. Uh, so, well, we were the only studio and I've always said this uh, and I celebrate, you know, you and anybody else who who was involved and touched that era because we were the only studio on the planet doing this kind of hybrid 2D, 3D thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone was either lean, they were leaning full 3D, like with Pixar or what have you. And uh, but we were the only ones who had this mandate to seamlessly blend 3D with our 2D legacy, yeah, which yeah. I thought was and it was brilliantly done. Yeah. You know? Oh, no. Really I mean, was. And we, we all had a ball and we were all yeah. learning. We were all, all learning on the fly.
Yeah, totally. Uh, we had we had no idea what we were doing. Yeah, you know, yeah. and that's the beauty of it, like not being afraid. And I have to give credit to the studio; they let us, you know, do a lot too. I mean, yeah. we always had like state of the art equipment and all that fun stuff, and they let us do it. But I mean, just the inquisitive curiosity and fearlessness we 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 had at that time. We just did it. We just we don't care if it's ever been done before. We're gonna do it. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and of fun. And, you, and you weren't really thinking about too much other than how do we make this happen, and, yeah. and and you never really rested on like oh look at what we did. You were moving on to the next thing right away. Yeah, right. You know? I mean, yeah, it's that, like that one long big yeah. one long movie. <laughs> yeah. So how how long did you stay at Disney? Twenty three years. You were there twenty three years. Twenty three. Wow. Yeah, I was there until two thousand six. I'm most proud of my work on Aladdin on the magic carpet. Uh-huh. Talk about not knowing what the heck you're doing. Uh, we figured that out with Darren Kiner. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was really, I'm most proud of that work that we did um, on that. But it was, it was an amazing journey. I didn't yeah. stay in one department the whole time. No, no, it, you moved around. You, I you kept were, moving around. Yeah, I yeah. have a really short attention span. You, you were you were in cleanup for a bit, and then you moved yeah. into CG. You were doing CG animation. Right. And where and else then, did you and go? And then I went into visual development. That's right. Yes. Okay. Uh, after the CG stuff, and I worked on the Muses and Hercules. Love that. It was just an amazing time. I learned everything I know about animation from that period, that time period. And by comparison to filmation, filmation was like so like cheats and tricks and and going so fast that when I got to Disney, it was like running into a pillow of full force. Like slow down. Poof. And take your time. And take do your it. time. And, and it's all about quality. All about quality. Yeah. Yeah, man. They'd throw out stuff and redo and it was really beautiful. Beautiful. So uh I mean, we could talk about all of these movies, but we were all fortunate to have worked on really that sort of renaissance of Disney animation during that I period know. of the late 80s through the early 2000s. Uh, and so, so many great films that, that came out that now are classics, you know, and and all of that. And, and right. people coming up through the ranks that grew up on those movies, watching those films. But when you left Disney, what did you I want to get into how you came up with the creative talent network? Like, how did that hatch, you know, <laughs> and uh, and how did you sort of, you know, sort of take that ball and run with it? Well, I think a lot of it was because, um, you know, I've been there for 23 years and I'm an only child. I'm the daughter of two only children. Oh, and wow. both, yeah, both my parents are gone. My grandparents were gone. I didn't have any siblings or anything. So it was my Disney family was my family. Yeah. They, they were it. And when they were changing the nature of their business and letting go of quite a few people, a lot, out of the de- a lot, yeah, a lot out of the department. Um, I didn't want to lose contact with these people. It was a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to stay in contact with everybody because I knew they were going to scatter and I'd never see them again. And then two, I wanted to also help promote what it is they do because I had felt that you and the other colleagues at Disney at that time were some of the most talented people I'd ever met. 
I've never seen artists that can be so versatile and so quick and so good and then so full of ideas mm. and imagination. I've never seen another another set, another group like that. I, I mean, it was pretty incredible to work with. Uh, I mean, right? hundreds, hundreds of people. Hundreds. Also, it was such a, a dense concentration of incredibly talented people. That's totally it. Yeah. I can't even imagine. It's hard to even explain because it was so inspiring and so motivating uh, being around these people and seeing their work. And so I didn't want to lose that. It was very important to me. So I started the Creative Talent Network. Uh, and I started as an online community with, uh, I think, four artists. Uh, Jean, uh, these, it was me. I put my work on there. And uh, these three artists were kind enough to, to experiment with me. Um, Rick Mackey, Jean Gilmore, and Tom Enriquez. Wow. And Talk they, about talent right there. Right the four there, of you guys, you know. The four of us. Yeah. And we were there. And on um, like June 30th, which is my birthday, I built the website in Dreamweaver because there was no Facebook then. There was no online Etsy or whatever. There was nothing then. This right, is, right. This is like 2006. I know. And it's crazy to think that that's only like less than 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's nuts. And now look, right? I yeah. <laughs> wow. It, it's amazing. So but you I, started you know, this online community. I did. I, I used Dreamweaver. I couldn't find any services to help me do it. So I, I snuck away from work for two weeks and I went and took a Dreamweaver course, uh -huh. which, and I built the website myself and I, you know, I launched it. I got their work up there and, and I launched it and it was really great. I mean, if somebody has an idea, if you're out there and you have an idea, do it, you know? It's, you know, it, the universe is talking to you for a reason. <laughs> and and, and you, you know, as you know, as well as I do, that 90 percent or 95 percent of the people who say, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do X, Y and Z? And they never do it. But right. there's there's that small percentage of people that say, hey, wouldn't it be cool to do some, such and such? And they go and do it. And, and it's really just it. take the steps and start doing it, break mm -hmm. it down into small incremental steps. And and if you don't know how to do it, learn, find out, ask mm -hmm. somebody. Right. Yeah, totally. I, I always say that, you know, you can't learn everything you need to know on this side of the door about what you want to do. You need to open the door and walk through and then you'll be able to see all of the bits and pieces <laughs> they'll come screaming at you everything that you need to do but if you wait and you just go well i don't know i gotta plan it all out first and it, it, just, it, just open it, the door and go just go do it and make the mistakes learn from yeah. your mistakes right and keep doing it until you get it right absolutely dave so let me ask you something so dreamweaver software i've never heard of right <laughs> but but did did dreamweaver turn into something else did that evolve and and, and or did it just you know, die off i'm not really sure it may have just died off but it okay. was one of the early um turnkey softwares to do html pages okay got it that's amazing that's really amazing and, yeah. and, and so you start this community and what happens next? Well, you start reaching out to people and letting them know that you're there. 
and I reached out to everybody that I knew. I had collected their email addresses at work when I was finding out that they were laying people off. I I collected everybody's email address so I could stay connected. And I emailed them and let them know about this, uh, this community that we're building. And they, you know, they saw that uh, Rick and Tom and Gene were there and I was there. I was like, hey, hey, I know those people. Maybe we could go there. So, so, so you, you, you start becoming a sort of a networking website almost, right? For people to keep yeah. in touch with. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, the main goal was to promote what it is they do. It was an online portfolio. They they got, I think, 12 images plus their bio. This is all old hat now. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it, nobody was doing it at the time. That, that's just so amazing. Wow. And And so from that... It just grew. It did grow. And, you know, it was open. It was all the Disney people at first. But then, you know, more word got out and we ended up with Sony people and DreamWorks people. It ended up being a, a community. Which is what you wanted from the beginning. Which is what I wanted from the beginning. And then we got people from around the world. You know, we got people from Europe involved. And, uh, you know, I realized, you know, being online was really great and all, but you know, you really needed FaceTime. We really needed to be face-to-face. Yeah. Uh, so I started hosting events. I went to Gordon Biersch, which is a which is a place in Burbank, very popular place. A restaurant. Outdoor... It's a restaurant with an outdoor it's a restaurant. It's like beer garden, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I hosted my first event there, and 60 people came, 6-0. Wow. And it was really great, but everybody was just drinking and complaining because the, <laughs> the industry was tanking, you know, for our group. Uh, so I, I but but as a, but as animation artists, I mean, don't we get together periodically and drink and complain and anyway? And complain. I think it's a rite of passage or something. Yeah, exactly. It's part of part of being in in the industry. So I hooked up with a gallery in uh, Studio City, the Van Eaton Galleries. I went there and I asked them. I said, I'd like, I've got this group of people and can we do some shows here? And so we did. We did four shows a year. We ended up with a tent in the street with 200 artists. And uh, it was like the hottest day of the year in May. It was going to be, it was 114 degrees in this tent. And uh, I looked at that. And I walked away from it and I looked at that tent and I said, we can do better than this. There seems to be a need here. Yeah. Because like 570 people came. Wow. To see. For for that first big event. Yeah. We were, it was just a tent with 200 artists over in Studio City. Yeah. We called it, it was called a book look. Wow. The animation book look with uh, the Van Eaton Galleries. Wow. That's awesome. I realized, I looked at that. And it was just, it was all of us, Dave. It was just us. Yeah, yeah. It was all artists at little four by four card tables. I I mean, I have to say, you know, because I've been to the CTN Expos that this grew into. And you you can't walk five feet without seeing somebody you know. Without seeing someone you know. That's such a good feeling, too. I love that. Oh, absolutely. And and so from, from Van Eaton... How did how did it get to this massive expo that thousands of people are coming to from they're flying in from all all points 
to right. be there. And uh, it's and, and by the way, I do want to just interject here to the audience and let them know that this year, the Creative Talent Network Expo, the CTN Expo 2022 is on November 17th through November 20th. It's at the Burbank Airport Marriott Hotel and Convention Center at 2500 Hollywood Way in Burbank, California, 91505. You can fly into the Burbank Airport or you can fly into LAX and get over to uh, the Marriott by the Burbank Airport uh, via a shuttle or a cab or bus or whatever. Nice. Thank you. I'm giving you a plug there. Uh, but <laughs> well but said. How, so so how did it grow from that tent behind Van Eaton Galleries into this major uh, annual expo? Well, I uh, I realized that there was a need for this, you know, and so I I danced as a hobby. I did swing dancing as a hobby and they had swing dance events. And I always liked the events. They they had a nice uh, kind of um, reunion aspect to them. Mm -hmm. But then they also really featured like swing dancing, period. And they had teachers and they had books and they had costumes and everything just targeted for that. And I've been going to swing dance events for a few years. So what I saw in my mind was something like that, but for animation artists, mm -hmm. something that is kind of a reunion aspect to it. And it's all about being in this community and learning. I saw it very clearly. I I just saw it. And so I went to the Burbank Marriott. I approached them and I asked them, what's the worst weekend you have here? And they told <sighs> me the Thanksgiving weekend, day, uh, weekend before Thanksgiving or the weekend after New Year's. So I told them I'll take the weekend uh, before Thanksgiving. And I signed a three-year contract, not knowing what the hell I'm doing again, just walking through doors. Yeah, yeah, you know, sure. Not realizing that if you don't fulfill, it's like a pretty horrible thing. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty horrible. It, it's motivating. It's very motivating <laughs> to have something hanging over you like that, right? Right. Well, I didn't even realize. I don't know if I fully realized the commitment. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I was told that, oh, Tina, you'll never... You know, because these deals with these hotels, it has something to do with a hotel room commitment. You have yeah. to, like, guarantee a certain number of rooms and stuff like that. I'm new to all this, right? I don't know what I'm doing. And so somebody told me, some lawyer in Burbank told me, oh, Gina, my God, you made a terrible mistake. This is a local event. No one will be coming out of town to stay in the hotel. I got scared the hell out of me. I said, really? I have no idea. <laughs> well, I opened my but doors they, to But they did, it, right? They did. Yeah. yeah. I opened my doors to 2,800 people. Okay. We had a room commitment of 400 and I oversold to 540. Wow. And were the they able to fulfill the 540? Year. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, the Marriott's got more rooms. I had yeah. only, I was only committed to a very small portion of yeah. what they actually have. Well, that must but have been a big sigh of relief. It was amazing. I was, I was sitting in back getting ready, you know, this is somebody who doesn't know how to do this, you know, and I don't know where you get pipe and drape. I don't know where you get lanyards. I don't know where you get any of this stuff. Right. This is a do it yourself project with a team of like 12 people. Uh, did it. We, we did it. And I was there like on Thursday before we opened and somebody um, came in to get me and said, Tina, you're wanted up front. And I thought, oh, God, what's happened? What's happened now? Right. 
because <laughs> it's been a pretty bumpy journey getting there. Um, and I said, look, and I looked and the line of people was down the street, like around the block. Wow. It just, it was, I've never forgotten that, Dave. Oh, no, After I mean. That, spending the... all this time preparing and not knowing what you're doing and where do you get this and signing things and banquet orders and I don't know, I don't know. To find the validation that, oh my God, they came. Yeah, well, Amazing. it's, hey, you built it and they came. And they came. Right? right? I mean, this is like Field of Dreams, you know? So, <laughs> so that first amazing. year that first year at the marriott that was the first expo what was right. what, what was the total attendance uh 2800 so it was the 2800 and yeah. and was it over 3 days it was over 3 days yeah friday and, saturday sunday and so you you stick to that format uh, friday saturday sunday i uh, do yeah to forward. this we're we're doing our this is year 14 what is, is it our... really 14 years since that first one? Yeah, these are, wow. you know, three words, never give up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so now you're getting you way more than 2800 people showing up. I mean, yeah, you, you've did. had to, you've had to put a massive tent in the parking lot. Yeah, we did to accommodate uh, for the attendance. Uh, people wanted to come. Yeah. And, and, and also and also vendors like artists selling mm -hmm. their wares and uh, and all kinds of stuff. Right. Amazing. Yeah. 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 We put a tent in the parking lot. Um, just some silly facts is that the the actual um, Marriott Convention Center is 15,000 square feet. Yeah. It's not a big place. No. I love the venue, the little boutique venue. I love it. Yeah. With fire pits and it's just lovely. But to accommodate for uh, the extra people, we put up a tent. The tent was 33,000 square feet. Right. So, and, I, and I want I want our <laughs> listeners to know, Tina, that when we say you put up a tent, this isn't like a party tent that no. you might see at a wedding or something like that. This is a massive <laughs> this is a massive structure. I mean, how how wide and how long is that tent? Well, it was uh, 300 feet long and 180 feet wide. There you go. And it took them a week to put it up. Right. Comes with a doesn't come with it, but they have to put in a subfloor. Yeah. And carpeting because November is known to be a rainy season. Yeah. <laughs> so we got to get everybody up off the ground. Then you have to run your own electrical. Yeah. Because there's no power and your own air conditioning. Right. You have to add the air conditioning for the tent, right? Because that's a right? air conditioning unit. I mean, you basically you it's a semi-permanent structure. I mean, you're basically building something right. and then tearing it down. Yeah. <laughs> a week later. Wow. It's the same thing, I think, that like Harry Potter. You know, any of these people do that have these traveling shows right? that, that put up these installations. It's the, it's yeah. the same. Pro no, it's not just putting up a <laughs> pitch a tent. Yeah, it's a it's a big deal. Yeah. But it was over double the size of the original structure. Right. Yeah. So the original Marriott Convention Center is 15,000 square feet. The tent was 33,000 square feet. So we over doubled the capacity. Which sounds kind of fun and interesting, except it was very hard. It was really hard on the venue, to be honest. The venue and its infrastructure really wasn't it, <laughs> equipped it, it, for that. It stressed them. It stressed them. It did. Them. It kind yeah. of stressed them with the bathrooms and the food and everything. Yeah. But unbelievable. But, it was but, pretty cool. but, but you say it stressed them, but 
they they don't want you to leave. They want you to stay there, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. I want to stay there too. Yeah. We've built a beautiful relationship, really, over the past fourteen years. Uh, the same with uh, the city of Burbank. Uh, yeah. They they send the mayor out to open our show, and they declare it Animation Week, and nice. they cut a ribbon, and <laughs> we're all kind of in this together. Which, uh, you know, it's another really lesson in life is that you. We're not just doing business. We're building relationships with people. Sure. Right. Because you never know. A COVID thing could happen and the whole place could get locked down for two years. And I was going to ask you about that because there obviously was no CTN in 2020. I think I was at the 2019 one. I think I was or the 2018 one of those. Uh, But there was no 2020 CTN. Exactly. We I held out. Um, I thought we were going to be able to do it. Right. And then I held out as long as I could. And come like the first week of October or the last week of September, pretty darn close to our opening day, uh, we were told that we couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, That no no events over 5,000 people could could do it. So we went online. And I'm so proud of my little team who we learned a lot. We just pivoted. And yep. we hosted, I don't know, five days and 100 panels. And we did it all on Zoom and uh, made it free because yeah. everybody was really hurting and confused. I All I wanted to do was keep the community together. Sure. Yeah. You know, and try to create some sort of normalcy when and, there's some people didn't know what's going on. And, and so 2021, there was no CTN either? No, I did a hybrid in 2021. You, you did the I actually, hybrid. Okay. I actually did it. Yeah. Um, and there still was, there still was some fallout from the pandemic where two weeks before the show, the airlines went on strike or the pilots, something right. like that. Yeah. A lot of people all of a sudden couldn't come. But you know what? Again, we did it anyway. Sure. We, we just did it and we created an outdoor theater. And outdoor areas for people who felt uncomfortable about coming in uh-huh. to a theater. We had a social distancing of uh, lanyards, red, green, and yellow. Very fun to let people know if red, don't come near me. Yellow, right. I'm okay, six feet. Green, give me a hug. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, just to help out. That, that's awesome. Now, now let me ask you this. Uh, because you pivoted to online, are you now going to do the CTN going forward with an online component that people mm-hmm. can, who might not be able to or don't have the resources to travel into Burbank, that they would be able to still be able to participate by watching panels or things like that? Absolutely. That's awesome. Absolutely. That is so awesome. Yeah, because people can't afford to come, like you said, or for whatever reason. Yeah. So we learned so much doing it. Um, And it was an awesome crew (laughs) that that did it. I just told them I needed to be like a Mobius strip where we're going to bring in presenters, put them up on the screen. Maybe they're in Germany. There's also going to be people in the room on a stage. And, you know, I just described it to them and, and they did it. So it was like this hybrid this incredible hybrid thing. That's so awesome. Uh, what's next for CTN? 
what what i mean is there anything you can say oh we're working on x and we're going to do this for the future or i mean are you wanting to grow the uh expo any further or are you kind of topped out where the expo is are you going to add days i mean i i could just ask you questions all night long tina yeah right you're doing great <laughs> you're asking great questions thank you so much for this opportunity yeah you know um there's always something next right I mean, that's the whole thing is you don't want to do the same thing over and over and over and over. CTN is not a cookie cutter event. Right. So every year it's kind of exciting because we always try to do something different. And uh, this year's no different. Uh, we've added a, a philanthropic uh, side to it as uh, CTN has a foundation, the CTN Foundation, a nonprofit charitable organization in support of artists in our community. So we have scholarships and grants and and um, more learning and educational. Awesome. And, and uh, one thing we haven't really talked about was the gallery uh, that you have on oh, yeah. uh, Hollywood Way. Because right. you, you have this uh, gallery space uh, uh, in Burbank that you do small events at year round you know, artist openings, artist shows and things like that. Right. Yeah. I opened that in 2014 because the expo was, was so great. And it was this big boom in November, but then it got quiet yeah. throughout the rest of the year. So to keep the energy going, yeah, I rented this small space and uh, it's uh, we call it CTN studio now because we, we do art shows in there, but it's like a multi multimedia studio space. Right. It, it also can be a hybrid space. So we've got cameras in there. And you know what? I I kept that space. It's been closed for two years because of the pandemic. Yeah. But I just opened it, I don't know, three weeks ago. Oh, wow. And so do you have any events coming up in the fall? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be having events. We're just starting. Yeah. You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like everybody's coming out of hibernation. It totally is like that. <laughs> we're just booting up the computers and we realize the operating system is. I mean, we're just like finding all this stuff out. Like, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. The computers in the space haven't been, uh, haven't had the operating systems updated in two years, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Kind of reacquainting ourselves with with it, but that's the whole idea. Yeah, and uh, it'll it's CTN membership driven. We have a little membership going, so you can join the membership, and then as a member, you get access to all this stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. It's uh got a lot going on it's very exciting uh and once yeah. again i just want our listeners to know november 17th through the 20th uh of this year 2022 yeah. uh at the burbank airport marriott hotel and convention center and and i i, I did want to ask you uh when you put that tent up and you did you know what what are 33,000 square feet under the yeah. tent uh you're still using the 15,000 square feet of the convention center as well right yeah, so, exactly. So really, we, the, the expo takes over the entire facility, really, for those three days. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, we take over every bit of space they have and they're they love it, you know. Yeah, but yeah we're, we were we're all over the place. And now we have an outdoor theater, which worked out really well. Uh, that's really cool. And, and I, I'm curious, uh, has the same manager been there for 14 years or have they changed out a few times? <laughs> No, there's been three. I've been through three general managers, but my event services manager, the person I deal with directly, yeah, 
has been the same since 2009. Oh, that is that's so awesome because the, the, because having that kind of a relationship and having the person know your event uh, as well as they would uh, having done it year over year for so many years that that's got to be so great. It really is. She's terrific, Elizabeth Jonal. She's amazing. We have so much fun reminiscing, you know, about this. She's she's a big part of the family. I mean, so much so, like, I host life drawing sessions, right, at the mm-hmm. little studio. Yeah. Uh, is that I went to the Marriott, and they have an outdoor restaurant, and asked them, can we do a dine-and-draw here? You know, because some people are still afraid to kind of come indoors. Yeah. So th- we'll do it once a month. And they said, yeah, so we do. Once That's- a month, the last Wednesday of every month, we're at the Marriott in their di- in their um, in their restaurant, in their outdoor restaurant. I bring two models, and they have fire pits, and there's... They they give a complimentary glass of wine, and uh, uh, that, we sit there is, and draw. That, that's awesome. That is so fantastic. I had Isn't no that, idea you were doing. I know that. it just started. We've we've done three of them. All right. And uh, yeah, it's a. I'm telling you, I'll tell your audience that it's all about building relationships with people. What, what's yeah, the turn? What, what what's the turnout for those three drawing events? The um the dine and draw. We've had uh, 30, 40 people. That's really good. And that's kind of like, I, I mean, you probably don't want to go much bigger than that, I would think. There's not enough room, really. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're in the restaurant mm-hmm. and then it got popular. So we also take over the pool area. <laughs> so we have wow. a stage in the restaurant and a stage near the pool area. So we're in both. Wow. And it's really, it's the coolest, coolest thing. I mean, and it's outdoors and See, I, I, I love those. The, you're a fountain of ideas. I mean, that's that's those are fantastic ideas, you know, doing something Aww. like that, you know, because I haven't heard of that kind of a a, a drawing uh, uh, set up like that before. Right. You know, I don't want to call it a class. I mean, do, are you calling it a class or you? No, you, it's you actually draw it's kind of like a drawing event. It's a networking yeah. event. Yeah. And uh, students and pros come and more people come to that than they do the regular sketch night in the studio. Ah, they come to this dine and draw because it's because of the alcohol yeah it's the alcohol <laughs> you're right that's what it is <laughs> that's fun well this is fantastic tina i i have to tell you it's been such a pleasure having you on the skull rock podcast uh Aww. and hearing all about uh the uh, ctn uh how it got started and about your career and about this fantastic expo that's coming up in November. We're actually going to put links uh, to uh, your website in our show notes. Uh, okay. And that's uh, really terrific. Dave. Yeah, I'm looking this forward. This has been to, a real pleasure. I'm actually I, looking forward to seeing, seeing you in person at some I point, maybe say, later this year. Exactly. You have an open invitation. I was going to email you and talk to you about that. You always have an open invitation to the event. uh, You know what? We'll talk offline because I Mm -hmm. I'm almost feeling like we should do a special skull rock podcast uh, from the CTN expo. Oh, I think so. That Uh, would be, that would be fantastic. Which would be a lot of fun. So Tina, it's just been so great talking with you. uh, And I'm so glad you came on to the skull rock podcast. You you have anything else you want to add? Well, Dave, this has been an absolute pleasure. I can't thank you enough for the invitation. And I do. I don't want to sign off without saying thank you to uh, the many artists, and you know, like Ronald Searle and uh, Jean Giraud Mobius and Kim Jong Ji, and just to name a few, who embraced 
this event and this journey. I know we talked a lot about nuts and bolts of how this thing got put together, but it's really the people. And I just really wanted to make sure that I thank all of them and my team for putting up with me and uh, just really making this happen. So I can't thank you enough. I hope everybody uh, comes and visits us in November. Thank you so well, much. It, it was absolutely our pleasure having you on, on the Skull Rock podcast. And I, and I have to say, I, just as a follow-on, you're absolutely right. It's all about the, uh, the people out there. It's all about the artists and the people that uh, attend the CTN Expo. That's what makes it. You know, when, yeah. you, when you have hordes of people lined up down the street, you know, stomping to get into the place, that's what makes it exciting. And I have to tell you, every time I've come to the Expo, I always run into people I haven't seen in years. And, and I'm surprised, you know, because it, it's sort of like, you know, somebody I thought who dropped off the face of the planet <laughs> and was somewhere in outer Spionk, uh, it, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they're in front of you. And it's so great to catch up with some of those folks. It really is. So thanks to your team and everyone else. And Al John, you got you want to add something? Oh, no, I think it's all great. I think what I was going to do is uh, call up our sound effect for for some applause. I think that's uh, <laughs> that's what's happening here. So thank you again, Tina. Absolutely. Thank you. There you go. There's our applause. The studio audience goes wild. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one. For a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Where, what a very kind person Tina is uh, to spend that time. And looks like uh, you guys have so much in common. Yeah, no, she's terrific. And, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, uh, a, a great friend from uh, over the years. And she's just done an amazing job with CTN. I, uh, that's all I can say is that. Uh, I hope folks uh, to have an opportunity to to take in the CTN Expo in Burbank in November. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's kind of a who's who of the animation world, uh, that three day event. You know, it, I love the fact that you when when you do these uh, conventions and when other you know animators and comic book artists that I've seen in artist alleys over the years and years um, love to take in new artists and, and as they show their portfolios out, uh, give them advice because oftentimes I see those artists come out, those young artists. And, you know, when I was a kid, I aspired to be an artist and work for, for Disney and Marvel. And it would have been awesome to have a portfolio of work to show, um, you Dave, uh, if I you know, was still in, you know, that, uh, that, that frame of mind of, of being an aspiring artist, you know, how cool is it for you to kind of look at some of these uh, portfolios as you, you do on these uh, different conventions and things and, and mentor some of these young artists? You know, I have to tell you, it's kind of like, you know, looking at your 20 year old self or, or you know, 24 year old self and uh, and th sort of giving the advice that you wish you had mm -hmm. when you were that age. Yeah. So. I think, you know, uh, I, I, an experience like the CTN Expo is really something terrific, especially for people that are just, you know, entering uh, the business. Uh, this is a great place for people to network. Uh, and like I said, it, it just it's a who's who. And in fact, you know, I talked with Tina after the interview and uh, thought that, you know, maybe I'll uh, set up a mic 
uh, down at uh, CTN this year, and we'll do some segment or something for the Skull Rock podcast. That'd be amazing. I think it'd be great to do kind of a little wrap up and to talk a little bit about the different guests and the panelists that are going to be there. And well, it sounds like an incredible time. So we're going to have some links in the show notes and hopefully some follow-up reports from the CTN Expo coming up in the next few weeks or so. So be listening right here to the Skull Rock Podcast. Dave, don't forget, you know, I know you don't forget, Dave, because you're here with me every week. But uh, everybody, please feel free to tell all your friends about Skull Rock Podcast. We've got an amazing audience out there, and we do love you. Thank you so much for listening, especially to the end. But don't forget to tell your friends to like and subscribe to our show and leave those uh, reviews. We would appreciate that. And every little bit helps the algorithm. All right, those five-star reviews, whether you're listening to us on iHeartRadio, you're listening to us on Sorcerer Radio, if you're listening to us there on Apple Podcasts or Anchor, or even Spotify, every little bit ha- helps. And you can also email us, because we love it, Dave or Aljon at SkullRockPodcast.com, respectively. We would appreciate that. Dave, you've got the final word. Yeah, Aljon, I have to say, it's always great to hear from our listeners. It makes me feel good when we get those notes, because I have to tell you, uh, we love uh, getting the feedback, and we want to know that there's people out there listening to what we're doing. Uh, and with that... I would say we will see you back here next week, right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast is made possible by listeners like you. We'd love to thank Charles, Lindsay, Spencer, and Joshua. To support this podcast to sustain future episodes, visit anchor.fm forward slash Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com <laughs>